0: Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. Now, I always say I'm excited when I have a guest, but this time, I really mean it. It's because <laughs> it's Miss Natalie Dupree. I know, I know. Now, I said this to Natalie off camera, but I mean it. I know that Natalie is a legend. I know about all the awards that she has won. I know that she's written 14 cookbooks, and I know she is considered the queen of southern cooking. But here's really what I think. Natalie, I met several years ago, and she's just a dear friend to me. And that's what I think of Natalie Dupree. <laughs> she is the one of the best girlfriends you can ever have in life. So hello, Miss Natalie. Welcome. Hello, I thought you were my sister. I know. Natalie calls me sis. People, not everybody knows that. She calls me sis, which I absolutely love.
1: we both lived wild lives in our youth. And now we are calm and serene and over a certain age.
0: I wasn't going to get to that right this first thing, but I'll tell you this, that people need to know one thing. And then we're going to talk about, Natalie, how you got from being in high
1: school in New Jersey to being the queen of Southern cooking. Oh no, I wasn't in high school in New Jersey. Where were you? I was in high school in Virginia. I grew up in Virginia. Oh, excuse me. Now that makes more sense. Now, I don't know
0: why I thought you
1: were in New Jersey. Well, somewhere it was important to say that I was born in New Jersey. Oh, Because that is where I was born. But you know, there was a war on, or about to be, and my father was in the army. And so I was born on an army base, but then we moved. Get it. Again. Uh, now, I need
0: to tell people, Natalie, because I'm going to refer to it, your latest book. I have several of Natalie's books, and Natalie's written 14 cookbooks, and people go to Amazon and you, you'll, if in case you don't know Natalie's cookbooks, but Natalie, your favorite stories and recipes, which is new. I have read from cover to cover. We are going to give a copy away to people. Ooh. We'll have a drawing when after your episode comes up. Um, and honey the stories are magnificent. They're magnificent. Now. You. They're just Thank you. they warm my heart. Ah. Well, here I am reading A fabulous story from Natalie Dupree's new book, Favorite Stories and Recipes. The story is entitled, A Special Family Breakfast. They'd been divorced nearly 40 years when my father phoned me, asking me to help him see his former wife, my mother, together with the rest of their children. His second wife and her second husband were now dead and each of my parents was alone. Surprisingly, my mother agreed to the meeting for the sake of the children. Her rancor at being left with three demanding children had cooled in the slow oven of time, and now it rarely flared and only sizzled. He had suggested they have breakfast, his favorite meal at his local diner. He was now 82 and rose before dawn Finishing eating before the sun was up, on those rare occasions when he waited until seven or eight in the morning, it was a grave concession to the rest of the world's rhythm. My mother, now 75, still worked three days a week for the church library. In her heart of hearts, she thought the world would be a better place if everyone slept a bit later, at least until dawn ate breakfast after sunrise, and came gently into the world each morning, only after reading and praying. I knew that diner only too well, for that is where I met him many times at barbaric hours of the morning for grits and eggs and bacon. They served cheap margarine, and the waitresses parceled out the sugar and sweet and low packets from their apron pockets, only upon request. There was always a crowd there, always a din, with salesmen calling to each other across the red vinyl booths. What kind of meal, what kind of place should it be for all the family to meet 40 years later? Surely a place where they wouldn't have to shout, because if they started to shout only to be heard, maybe it would continue, their voices rising distinct over the cacophony, spiraling above them all with the stifled angers of bygone years. No, it had to be a place where the atmosphere would temper those feelings if the pot was uncovered. It had to be at an hour when the crowds were sparse, when the world had already moved into its daily rhythm. The place had to serve butter, the bread had to be warm. We children groaned, terrified of the event, had to be able to leave without bolting if the pain became too great. But what if they all left? Who would pay the check in the swirl of emotions? It was agreed we would all get together at a small, elegant hotel at nine in the morning. We met in the gilded lobby and proceeded to the dining room where mercifully we were greeted expeditiously and seated in the rear of the room. He ordered the same breakfast he always had nearly every day of his life. Mother was swept up by the occasion, the splendor of the room, the length of the menu. She vacillated, unsure of what would be the best, wanting to remember the best. We children ordered the safest items, no crumbled croissants for them. Breakfast came. The bread was hot. The butter was real. It melted easily. It was to me terrifying to find we were civilized, polite, and liked each other. Do you miss your husband? He asked. Yes, she said. He was good to me, and we had the church. She paused, then asked shyly, do you miss your wife? Yes, he answered, although she wasn't herself for a long time. Your husband wasn't either, was he? No, she said. He didn't know me for some time. They looked at each other from lowered eyes. We children faded, shadowed, and didn't know the people our parents had become in just a few moments. He said to her at last, I see you still drink too much coffee. She said yes, and laughed a small, delicate, bell-like laugh her children had never heard before. It even surprised her. As she raised her hand to cover her mouth, her napkin fell to the carpet. I only drink one cup a day, he said, and stooped to retrieve her napkin. You still have the most beautiful legs of any woman I have known, he remarked, wiping the drops of his single cup of coffee from his smile. I've always liked your mustache, she returned. Watching as his napkin left the mouth she used to know, everyone started talking at once, sharing memories, laughing and teasing, the pot of emotions now bubbling like a good soup. We took pictures. He called the waiter over. He was always more comfortable with strangers than intimates. This is my family, he said. These are my children. This is their mother, and this is the first time we've all been together in 40 years. The waiter smiled politely and took more pictures for us. You did a good job with the children, my father said. Turning to us children, she said, God helped me. They are my jewels. He called for the check and said, next time let's go to my favorite diner. A bit earlier. I can't afford this expensive restaurant again. She smiled and nodded her head as he took her arm and walked her to the car. We children only moments behind, dazed with the wonder of it all. We were a family. Maybe we always had been. I wasn't gonna say it yet, but people don't know, Natalie, and I won't tell you any of it, even after one of us dies. (laughs) (laughs) No one's gonna know that you and I text each other some of our sordid past stories. We can probably sell them, girl,
1: but- Probably. They're they're going to the grave with us. Well, I'd rather be a Nias Nin and live forever in people's mind but I don't think that'll happen. Oh, well. uh, (laughs) I can't find a rich old man to pay me. You've done all right. You've done (laughs) all right. I
0: need to know, Natalie, how you found cooking.
1: How I found cooking. I always liked to cook at home. But during that age, of course, first I grew up during ration. Uh, Which people may not realize that we did in the United States, and I was thinking about it this morning. I mean, when I grew up, when I was a little, they rationed butter, and uh, that's how come there was margarine. And we used to make great scenes about having to eat margarine. My sister and I, and uh, sugar was rationed. There was, you know, so that was until I was uh, five or six, I guess. And then I liked to cook, but my mother had to shop on the bus. So things were limited. Yes. So it was only when I got out from home that I discovered a sort of a passion for it. And that was when, after my sophomore year, I moved to Harvard, to Boston, to go to Harvard Summer School to meet a Harvard boy. Well, probably. A very smart plan. A smart plan. Probably. And I lived in an international student house and I wound up being the cook for two weeks. The cook was sick, was in the hospital. Okay. And, uh, And I made tons of mistakes, but I loved it.
0: Natalie, the reason why I totally applaud that you went to Harvard summer school and potentially might have um, met a lovely man was because I only went to nursing school I only applied to nursing school because I thought I could marry a doctor.
1: How did that work out
0: uh, it uh, well. <laughs> That was my first husband, and he wasn't a doctor, and it was a dentist. And actually, it didn't work out that well. And I had, <laughs> I had no gift for nursing, as we say. And my mother kept saying, Denise, this is not your career. You just think you'll look good in the uniform. So <laughs> but we learned that. So you started cooking for what? Your, 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 the other students that were there?
1: Yes. I was living in an international student house and the cook had to get an operation and because I had defaulted on my other duties (laughs) I was assigned to be the cook and I loved it I loved it we paid uh we paid $15 a month I think I think it was five nights Monday through Friday so I would have about 18 of us it was 15 of one and 18 of the other I can never I don't know which is which but anyway Uh, I made all my mistakes and still could turn out a meal. I love that. It was was the most glorious feeling, you know, to be able to turn out a meal for all those people, even when I was making mistakes. It was just fabulous. I mean, I multiplied things by three, for instance, my first night. So I have advice for everyone. You never want to multiply anything by three. At most, you want to double it and then double it again. But first, nobody can do one-third fractions. No, no. Yeah. You don't know what three-eighths of a teaspoon is, right? I mean, yeah. No, we don't. So anyway, nine-eighths of a teaspoon, I guess you could do that if you were really smart. But anyway, and also in multiplying it by three, you get three times as much grease. So if you only need a certain amount of fat, to saute onions, you don't need a lot more. You don't need three times as much. So uh, between my math and my multiplying of fats and so forth, I wound up with a layer of grease and then this, this gloppy white stuff that was probably flour and milk or whatever. And I realized that when you multiply a recipe, you have to leave the recipe because it'll say stir three minutes or whatever. Well, if you stir three times as much then, <laughs> but you don't stir but three minutes, it's not gonna thicken. Well, if you don't know why you're stirring it, if someone just says stir three minutes, then you wind up with what I wound up with, floppy. And then, so then that was on top of the tuna fish and then, you know, heavier things sink. So I, uh, I didn't know what to do, but I stirred it all together and uh, I quickly made some toast in the oven, which I could do, and I served it over to- toast and I added green peas from the freezer or from a can probably, and I called it tuna fish a la king. I was just gonna say, Miss Natalie, that is tuna a la king. I love it. That's a real rule of mine. You don't ever tell anybody what you're serving until you have to, because you never know what's gonna happen in the kitchen. And if you have guests and you're not a professional cook, you don't have any obligation to say what, you're gonna, what they're gonna eat. They you have know. an obligation to tell you what they're allergic to, and that's it.
0: Natalie? I totally agree. Of course, having been in catering for many, many years, things go south, as we used to say, Or things happen. And I once had an expensive, expensive party, Miss Natalie and the what no one told me that when all these cakes got delivered from the bakery, that one was a frozen white chocolate mousse case and it needed to go in the freezer. So it was thawing out until I noticed this white goo all over the kitchen floor. It was the man who was paying for the party's favorite cake. I picked up wasn't on the floor and I threw that that unfrozen muck (laughs) in the champagne glass and served it to him. And he kept saying, oh, I love this presentation. No one's ever given me this cake like this before. Yes. And that I'm the same with you. Walk proudly and serve
1: what you made. That's what you got to (laughs) do. Right, right. Where did you cook after that? Then I didn't cook. Oh, okay. I mean, I just cooked at home or whatever, Uh, but I didn't. um, I called my mother and told her that I loved it and I wanted to be a cook. And she said I'd have to work at night with men lifting heavy pots. And that they, you know, that they would be hard to work with and difficult, and they wouldn't treat me with respect, and that she had always hoped that I would be a lady and that ladies didn't cook. Yeah. And if I could find anyone cooking that wasn't cooking in a diner, (laughs) a lady, or, you know, slinging hash somewhere, that... I would have her blessing, but otherwise not. And, you know, I could find a lady that was a cook then. I couldn't find anyone that was educated, that was a woman that was cooking, because it just wasn't done. Maybe someone had their own restaurant, but they were probably French somewhere. I probably Ah. didn't look up all French names. So I didn't cook. I had a hundred different jobs. Uh, easily. I uh, was secretary. I was a Girl Friday. I was a copywriter. I was a research assistant. I did research on cancer. Well, I mean, I just had a lot of jobs, none of which I did very well. <laughs> uh, but I could always get hired because I had a good gift of gab, but you know, yes. I didn't necessarily keep them that well because I. I'm not good at the things that you have to be to be a little helper, like a secretary. <laughs> I'm not good at filing. I'm not good at uh, typing without mistakes, those things. I understand. We, we were supposed to be secretaries, teachers, or nurses. Yes, DAs.
0: that's right. No, Natalie, it hadn't changed that much. We have a decade between us, but I have to tell you, uh, my choices were very much until Gloria Steinem said, you can go to law school. Same thing. My father and mother assumed I would be a nurse or a teacher. Do you know what That's I mean? That's right. Or a secretary. And then the 70s came and women said, I can be, uh, you know, I can be a lawyer. I can be a doctor. And it was, it was mind blowing to me
1: because yes. I had
0: not been raised that way. I had not been
1: raised. That way. No. I mean, there might've been a few, but we weren't even allowed to see them in South Carolina and Georgia. I think women couldn't practice law. Weren't even allowed in the courtroom until uh, I was a grown woman.
0: For God's sakes, of course.
1: So- I hear ya. It never occurred to me. Uh, When cooking was out, uh, I didn't know what else to do. So then I married my favorite former husband and we moved to London. And while I was there, I stumbled into the Cordon Bleu at the recommendation of a girl that I met while I was looking for a house, who I still talk to on Facebook. And um, after one lesson, a demonstration where they made puff pastry wrapped around a lamb chop with a sauce chasseur, which was a homemade brown stock and sauce. I invited, went home and invited people for dinner and proceeded to make puff pastry wrapped around a lamb chop with the sauce chasseur in my tiny service flat where we were living while we were looking for a place to live. So I was a failure. (laughs) I was so mad. I mean, we ate lamb chops, so that was fine. But I was sad that I couldn't do the rest of it, that I went back the next day and signed up. I didn't want to be a lady. I mean, I just didn't care. I wanted to learn how to do that. I was that passionate. I love it. So it was always my mistakes that led me to what I wanted to do. Natalie, I'm
0: going to repeat that because that's something I have, it was my mistakes that led me always led me to what I was supposed to do. See, I think that is that is brilliant and it's it's not what we're taught. Do you know what I mean? No. We're not taught that. And I feel the same way. I have failed so many times, <laughs> Natalie. I mean, big,
1: big time. right.
0: And you know what? I, that was the only time I learned. It was, that's yes. when I, I would shake myself off and stand up and think, oh, okay, I'll go in another direction. Right. Bless you. Right. That's a huge, it's a huge statement, Miss Natalie. Yeah. So in the Cordon Bleu,
1: did you become a star student? No, I certainly <laughs> was not a star student. I was so anxious. I mean, I cared so much. I remember that the day that uh, we were supposed to make orange marmalade, I was just plain terrified. I had myself a nervous wreck. And I I stopped and and I went over to see a friend, some ungodly hour, like 8.30 in the morning, an older woman friend, and just walked into her flat crying because I was so terrified of making orange marmalade. You know, so no, I wasn't. As it was, marmalade turned out fine. <laughs> it was all new to me. I mean, this whole thing that sauces had names and techniques and all of that. And that's when I realized, you know, that the things that I did know how to do did have techniques, like the, like the tuna fish casserole, you know, that there, yes. were, there was a technique behind it even if the newspaper article didn't say that you were stirring to make it the flower cook. So gotcha. I was terrified and I wasn't the star student. I think that was a girl from uh, Scotland uh, that was very prim and very tidy and very, uh, always looked wonderful. She always had her hat on right and her scarf tied right, and her shirt was always clean. But towards the end, it came time to do puff pastry. And I said, don't you want to make it? And she said, oh no, she said, I haven't made any puff pastry. And I said, what, you've been here the whole time and you haven't made puff pastry? And she said, well, no, I didn't want to you know, make a mess of it. So the reason that she was the star student was because she hadn't made any mistakes. Well, bless her heart, then she hadn't learned anything. Um, I love that Natalie. I, you know what, Natalie, I,
0: I, I so understand that too. Do you know what I mean? People that don't want to make mistakes that I've made so many in my life. I gave up worrying about that, you know, a long time ago. That's right. I I really did. And also I was raised by people, my parents, wonderful, wonderful people, but my father would point out mistakes. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. And With that, I had two older sisters. I saw that he wasn't always right. Do you know what I mean, though? Yes. You know? So I, as the youngest, you have a different view. Right. And right. I remember thinking, okay, so I made a mistake. Big deal. No one died. I'll get over it. And right. I've kind of lived that way the rest of my life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, it's a big shock to learn that all men are not perfect. Ain't it, though? And that's true in the kitchen too. That's right. Chefs don't always know everything either, as we find out. I mean, as the as the rules change, all the time. Where where all of a sudden now, parsley is a salad. <laughs> you know the way of seasoning. Somebody was questioning why we always had to use salt and pepper the other day. Why, do we, why, why don't we just give up pepper as a seasoning? I mean, I don't remember who it was or where I read I, it, but people are questioning things all the time. So these yeah. techniques do change. But I, I have to tell you, I read the article
0: about pepper and I thought, what are you talking about? I love black pepper in food. Do you know what I mean? I love I love the, t- the sharp taste of it. I mean, I want black pepper in my food. <laughs> And right. When I read that article, I kind of thought, okay, never mind. And I just moved on. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of changes, but you certainly don't have to adapt to all of them, depending on That's who you right.
1: are. That's Right. Well, I thought that article was probably written by a man. Uh, and, I, so, and so I, I just ignored it, too.
0: I thought it was probably written by someone who'd gotten a job assignment from their editor that was supposed to write something different. Do you know
1: what I mean? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: And that's that's what they came up with. So after the Cordon Bleu, where did you go?
1: Well, we went to Spain to wait out the tax year. And uh, we went to Majorca, where we had friends. And I was in a swimming pool about three days after I got my degree. And uh, someone came up to me and said that there was a restaurant in the middle of the island. They were desperate for a chef. So... (laughs) Two to New York were interviewing me in my bathing suit to run this restaurant that they owned in Formentor, Majorca, and so, not Formantor, uh, Poyenza, Majorca, and so I, I somehow or other accepted, and then the next day, I showed up to be the chef of this restaurant.
0: And here I am reading another story Muscle memory. Tonight as I scrub mussels for dinner, removing their beards and carefully lifting them from the water so the sand is left in the sink, I remember the time when I became chef of Cipuleta, a small country restaurant between Alcudia and Polenza in Mallorca, Spain. I had more courage than knowledge. Having just received my advanced certificate from the London Cordon Bleu, I had never worked in a restaurant before and didn't really know what I didn't know. In fact, many years before, I'd been convinced by my mother and friends that ladies didn't work in restaurants, so I had given up the idea. Then one night, I asked the owner of a restaurant in Palma, where we were living for a few months, if I could hang around in the kitchen and observe for a few nights. She agreed. And... In the way that life has, the next day I was offered a job in the country, an hour from Palma, at what was reputed to be the best restaurant on the island. The French chef had quit because there were no women for him to date there, and the female New York owners were desperate enough to hire an inexperienced young woman as chef. The deal was all diners were to be by reservation only. So the kitchen could accommodate my pace, which was bound to be slower than the French chefs. But as it happens in so many restaurants, the desire for exclusivity, good food and service was overcome by greed. And the maitre d' took all comers. Reservations are no. Mussels were on the menu the first night. When I was attending school in England, I had scrubbed and cooked up many a batch of mussels for crowds of friends, so I felt confident. Of course, those mussels had come from the market. These mussels had come directly from the ocean, but I figured they were the same. I hadn't reckoned on the Mallorcan yellow jackets and hornets. I had assumed the windows of the kitchen were screened. After all, it's been hot there every summer for centuries. I was wrong. There were no screens anywhere, but there were venomous flying insects, and they liked me. They liked me a lot. Seven bites in ten minutes' worth, just before we started serving. With tears streaming down my cheeks from bites, from frustration, from the fear of being the chef of a restaurant, I put the mussels on to cook. First, I had put them in a big sink in the middle of the kitchen, covered them with ocean water, and scattered them over an oatmeal-type product to feed and plump them up before serving. The little Spanish maids were my helpers had scrubbed them, removing their birds, and put them in the pan back in the sink in ocean water. I heated a pan and added the mussels, still crying, I added salt and pepper. When their shiny black shells opened to show the sensuous flesh of the mussels inside, I sent them to the table where the proud owner sat, awaiting their first meal by their new chef. Moments later, the two ladies who owned the restaurant stormed into the kitchen. It didn't take long to find out the source of their wrath. Unthinkingly, I had added salt to the water, then sent the mussels to the table without tasting their broth. The broth was so salty, the owner said, a spoon would have stood up in it. I personally think they were exaggerating. Still, it was salty enough to be nearly inedible. I began crying in earnest now, my first job in a kitchen, and I had blown it, partly due to the flying creatures, and partly because I had forgotten all the things I'd ever learned, and most importantly, to taste, taste, taste. The owners left the kitchen. After all, they couldn't fire me in the middle of the meal. And so we started a rocky relationship, which lasted until the season ended and our contract was up. They never did fire me, and I didn't quit. And I never again salted mussels until I was quite sure the broth needed flavoring. But I don't think they ever hired a novice cook again. So Miss Natalie, you're in the swimming pool three days after you graduate from school in Spain. Did you speak Spanish? Did you speak No because no. I
1: you know I barely squeaked by French and Spanish. <laughs> Because I knew I would never need them. Now, see, <laughs> now, so you
0: take the job. And I love this, Natalie. Now, this is again, now I see, see, this is a pattern sometimes with what we, we see in women beyond a certain age's stories. The fact that you were frightened, you continue to do something. Do you know what I mean? You obviously loved it enough that your passion, you said, sure, I'll be the chef at a restaurant that you probably weren't qualified for
1: at the time, but never mind. Do you know what I mean? Right. Well, I didn't know what I didn't know. That's I mean, right. I, and in a way, thank God. That's right. When I do know, I'm afraid to try for things, but I didn't know that, I mean, I knew I hadn't ever been in a restaurant kitchen before. So the night before I started, uh, I asked uh, a woman who was running, owned a restaurant, but was running the front of the house, if I could stand in the kitchen and watch her chef. Excellent. That's when I found out you could reheat chicken. (laughs)
0: I want to remind people that your latest book called Favorite Stories and Recipes is without a doubt. See, Natalie, I don't think that people often know that cookbook writers can also be just plain old writers, wonderful writers. um, And that's what you are. So it's absolutely lovely to read your new book. And on our website we archive all of the podcasts and we have a facebook page that after this goes up people want to ask you questions miss natalie they will and they can reach out to you oh good so, yeah oh no it's wonderful because we have barely scratched the surface in your that's career. right i know it i do want to know, tell people that that natalie and i met because of iacp which I've talked about a lot, Natalie, in these podcasts. And um, that the network of the people that are in food that I've made have made a huge difference in my career.
1: Yes, women, network, network, network.
0: All right. Thank you, Miss Natalie. We'll talk to you again. Bye. Bye.